Hey there, everyone. This is Pastor Ryan from Mountain View. I just wanted to take a quick second and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We we hope that this message just fills your soul. It fills your heart. Uh, we pray that this message impacts your life in some way, shape, or form, and the gospel just changes you. So thank you so much for tuning in for the Mountain View podcast. We hope you enjoy. was resounding. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah, thank you. Well, it seems like there's a lot of little, a lot of scares going on in the world right now. Anybody heard about a virus going around? Anybody a little worried about it? I don't think we need to be. Two reasons. One, we're children of God. We don't have to be afraid. We need to be prudent, right? We need to be wise, but I don't think we need to be afraid. Well, it is what happened, and actually, uh, the nursing home where this all kind of broke out in Kirkland is just a couple miles from where I teach at the university there, so uh, we're making plans in the event that if uh, they close down Northwest University, should a student come through and they end up closing us down, how are we going to teach? So we're looking at ways to do that through video and Zoom and different kinds of things, so it could be interesting before it gets better, right? But we don't have to be afraid. This morning I'd like to talk to you, Uh, the title of my message is, Follow Me. Follow Me. Um, In 1978, a book was was written by Michael Hart, and it created a bit of controversy, to be honest, because the title of the book was 100 Most Influential People in in the World. Starting out the list, number one was Mohammed, and number two was Sir Isaac Newton, and number three was Jesus. Now, you can imagine how much of a stir that that possibly would have created, particularly among the church and the Christian community. And when he was pressed on the issue as to why he placed Jesus number three, his response was, as he says, there's absolutely no doubt that the teachings of Jesus were the most influential and the most significant of all time. But then he went on and said, but the reason that I had to put him number three was because although all of his teaching was by far superior to anyone else, the most influential kind of message that anyone would have, but the reason I had to put him number three is because those who believe in Jesus don't follow what he says. Now think about that. I, as you think about that a moment, it's, um, while we may agree with that statement, it stings a little bit. For someone who would not even view themselves as a believer, a Christ follower, to look at the most influential people in the world that have ever lived and to put Jesus number three, that stings a bit. But when you re- acknowledge, I think, with what he said is that the question, do we really follow? If we believe in Jesus, do we really follow him? You see, um, the question that I want to ask this morning and I want to talk about is what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it literally mean to follow Jesus? In the scripture, we find that there's four times that Jesus invites his disciples 
to, a, to make a commitment or to, to in, in the process of following, learning to follow. There's four invitations that he gives, and I'm going to talk about two of them this morning. It had been about a year. John the Baptist was, was actually the forerunner, most of us probably in this room know, but he was assigned the for, to be the forerunner to, to, to talk about the, the soon coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And John had been, been going around Israel, Judea, Galilee for approximately a year. And he was proclaiming that the day of the Messiah is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. And as he was traveling around one day, he sees Jesus and Jesus comes and asks John to baptize him. And when he's baptized... The Holy Spirit, we know that from the scripture, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and proclaims that he is the Messiah. And so approximately 40 days prior to this experience with John, Jesus had been baptized by John. And as John is, has gathered around him a group of men that are traveling, a little band of disciples, his own disciples, those that had basically have, you know, been discouraged with what was going on in their own world and their own ideas and, and their own life and their own spirituality, their own religion. And they were following John because they, they believed his message. And this little band of men that were with him were one day in Beth, Bethsaida, which if, if you look at Jerusalem and if you're pointing north, I think that's north, right? If you're pointing north, Jerusalem is here and about one mile, about from here to the stoplight coming into town from, from Monroe. That's about how far the, the community was from Jerusalem. Bethsaida was an interesting community, uh, was, was an interesting community because it was in this community that Lazarus was probably where he lived. It was also on the edge of the desert. And most of us know that after Jesus was baptized by John, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And the wilderness would have been on east. And so it had been about 40 days since John had seen Jesus. And as he and his little band of disciples were, you know, standing and proclaiming, and John was one of these kind of, he was a bit, bit weird. I mean, by all standards, you would have looked at John and you'd have said, man, there's something, you know, that guy's a weird duck. I mean, he wore camel skin for clothes. I mean, you know, he'd have fit into some of our culture today, but he'd have been weird. And, and so... If you can visualize the picture, he's standing there with this group of disciples around him, his own disciples, but they were the disciples who also believed the message that John had that the Messiah is coming, and so they were like John looking for the Messiah. And as John and this little band of, his little band of disciples were there, he looks up and he sees Jesus coming. And he's, he proclaims to his disciples, he says, there is the Messiah. 
Now I want you to get the picture. This little band of disciples with John. One of them named Andrew, which later became a disciple of Jesus. It says in the scripture that Andrew comes up to Jesus and, by the way, if you were Andrew, if you were anticipating the Messiah and John, your leader, tells you there's the Messiah, what question would you have first asked him? You see, they expected that the Messiah would come. But the first question that Andrew asked him was, and this seems really odd, where do you live? Now that's not the first question that I would have thought about asking Jesus, the Messiah. But why did Andrew ask that question, where do you live? Well, because, I believe it's because they expected that if Jesus was in fact the Messiah, he would have a palace someplace because he was coming as the king. And they had wandered all across Galilee, Israel, and they had never seen any new building or construction going on. They'd not seen Derek out there with his truck digging up dirt trying to build a foundation for this big mansion. And so the first question that Andrew asked him is, where do you live? And Jesus, with the same intensity and the same seriousness that Andrew asked the question, Jesus looks back at John, or at, at Andrew rather, and he says this, just come and see. Just come and see. You find in that chapter John, in, in the book of John, you find, he says, just come and see where I live. And the scripture says it was about four o'clock in the afternoon that Andrew, and we don't have the name of the other disciple, it says, and Andrew and another disciple go with Jesus and they spend the rest of the day with him. Now we do not know, but try to picture this in your mind. Jesus says to Andrew, and Andrew asks a very sincere, serious question. Jesus, where do you live? Messiah, where do you live? And so Andrew and the other disciple, probably James, but we don't know that for sure. They take off with Jesus, and as they begin to walk, we do not know there's no indication of, of what the conversation is between Jesus and Andrew and the other disciple. But it was likely something like this. First of all, they did not know where they were going. They were just walking with Jesus. And as they were walking along, I, I anticipate that it could have been a conversation like this. Jesus walking, and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. And as Jesus walked along with his disciples, this conversation, we don't know exactly what it was, but there was something that was changing or causing them to burn in their heart. There's, they were interested in his message. They were interested in the man. And finally, they end up at a place 
We don't know what it is. But the truth of it is, Jesus did not have a home at this point. And my anticipation is, is that Jesus stopped by a rock, nestled around with a tree, is towards probably the wilderness, not too far out of town. And he stops, and there his backpack is that he left from the night before. And I'm sure Andrew was like, seriously? I mean, now he's got more questions than he started with. And we don't know exactly, but all we know is that whatever happened in the next few hours of this conversation, in this time with Jesus, the next picture we get is as Andrew basically is headed back towards John and the other disciples. And when Andrew gets there, he goes directly to Peter, his brother, and he says, We found the Messiah. He is the Messiah. There was something that happened in four or five, six hours, whatever it was, that absolutely convinced Andrew Andrew, that Jesus was in fact who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, he was the king, he was the one who John had been telling was coming. He was convinced in his heart. And it says that Peter, Jesus, uh, Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, and Jesus looks at Peter and he says to him, Peter, you're no, go, you're no longer going to be called Cephas, but you'll be called Peter, meaning rock. You know, when we come to Jesus, he changes our name. He gives us a new identity. We're not the person we used to be. We're a new person in Christ. And that's what he was saying to Peter, a new person in Christ. It says that the next day, Jesus was walking along, and he saw, he saw Philip, and he said to Philip, come. And Philip immediately began to follow Jesus. And when Philip came to Jesus, he was convinced, so convinced that he went to Nathaniel, who was over someplace out of the edge of town. Nathaniel, more of a quiet kind of a soul, kind of a quiet, more contemplative, introspective kind of a person. And when he goes to Nathaniel, he says, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel's first response was, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, well, come on. And so he takes him to Jesus. And as, and as Philip and Nathaniel are getting close to Jesus, Jesus looks at Nathaniel and he said, there's a guy who has no guile, no deceit in his heart. And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, seriously? What do you mean you saw me under the fig tree? And Jesus, yeah, the other day I saw you when you're in your garden, when you're at that setting by that fig tree in your own place and just contemplating, trying to figure it all out. 
And he says, I saw you there. And Nathaniel is completely taken back. He's like, there is no, no, no way. You see, Nathaniel was a person who was an Israelite. He, he was a Jewish man who, had, who was serious about his faith. He was serious about his spirituality. He was a person who did not want to fall for false stuff. He didn't want to mess around with things that were fake. And Jesus said, I saw you when you were sitting under your tree and you were thinking. And Nathaniel was probably praying and saying, lead me, Father, talking to his God. Lead me, help me to know the truth. Listen to John, listen to, I need to know, I want to know. And it was in that seriousness and that of his own mind. You see, in some cases, skepticism, skeptical. The first disciples that Jesus was questioning whether or not he had validity. You see, the first invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples is the same invitation he gives to us. It's an invitation to just come and see. It's an invitation to come to a place of honest faith. Jesus is not afraid of our doubts. He is not at all, he is not all taken back in one minute. He's not taken back with our, our, our fears. He's not taken back with our questions. He is not taken back when we're struggling with our own faith and our own questions. He knows, and we get this from, from Nathaniel, he knows what you're thinking when nobody else is around. He knows what you're feeling when you're in the quietness of your own time. Maybe you're on your drive to work. Maybe it's you're sitting, having coffee, reading. You're just pause, you're thinking, you're, you're trying to figure life out. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. He also knows that it doesn't put him off or, and it doesn't surprise him if you have doubts or questions. In fact, Jesus is very comfortable with the fact that we may doubt. Did you know that it's important to have doubts? Doubts are the first step to faith. If you don't doubt, if you don't question, and you just say yes, you probably are not accepting anything. You're not saying yes. To, so you see, it's, it works like this. If I take time to question what's going on, and I contemplate that, and you, you say to me, for example, would you come with me? I want to go hunting. Will you come hunting with me? Well, if I stand there and I start thinking about, well, what's it going to cost me? How long are we going to be gone? Who's going with you? Who's paying for the gas? Is it a tent? Is it a trailer? Is it a motel? You see, the more I think about it, the more I know about it, when I say yes, I know what I'm getting into. And so Jesus is not confused with your doubts. He's not taken back when you're trying to figure it out. It has to be honest doubt. It has to be honest doubt. You see, sometimes our questions that we have that we put up 
towards Christ, toward God, towards Christianity. Sometimes our doubts are not really honest doubts. Sometimes our doubts and our questions and our objections are really just simply kind of a smoke grain for our own rebellion. But honest doubts, Jesus is completely comfortable with. So Jesus is not put off by the doubters, the skeptics, or the cautious thinkers. Jesus invites us to come and see for ourselves. Just come. Investigate. You can trust. Just like Nathaniel, just like Andrew, just like James, just like Philip, come and see. Come and see. Jesus wants us to investigate what he's all about. He's not afraid of that. Because he knows that in the true honest doubt and in the true honest investigation, it's the first step to honest faith. Honest faith comes from the skepticism and the doubts. You see this, he, he promised that, um, that he would turn his head, his face, his heart towards those who were looking toward him. The scripture says very clearly, if you ask, you seek, and you knock, it'll be open to you. He wants that. You see, coming to Jesus, following Jesus is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn what it means to truly follow Jesus. He wants to show us. He wants us to understand it. He wants to speak in our own hearts. Because what, we, what he knows is that people can follow with their legs and not with their heart. You can follow Jesus. You can follow Jesus with your legs to church or to but there's a difference between following Jesus in your heart. And Jesus knows that the only way that our life becomes like his is when our heart is changed because do you know, do you know how you know when a, when a person has truly given their life to Jesus? Now Jesus? Ultimately, Jesus is the only one that really knows. But there is kind of a way to know. It's not because I pray to prayer. It's not because I come to church. It's not even because I read my Bible. The, re the way I typically would know that a person is following Christ or coming to Christ is because their desires change. Their desires change. Something inside my heart changes. Where I was going this direction, doing what I wanted to do, going this way. My desires were drawing me this way. And when I come to faith in Jesus, Jesus changed. It says, old things pass away. Everything becomes new. A new heart. You see, unless the heart is changed, we're trying to do it on our own. It's the heart that changes and causes us to be able to become like Christ. Knowing Jesus is the only way that we can become like him. Honest faith is the first invitation. The next invitation comes about three or four months later. In fact, it, it, it's interesting because right after this first invitation, Jesus had invited Andrew and James and John and Zebedee and Philip and Nathaniel, and they had all began to follow him. The scripture doesn't exactly outline who was with him, but the, really within just a few days after this event, Jesus 
with his disciples were at a wedding in Canaan. And we all know, most of us know the story, what happened. They ran out of wine and Jesus did his first miracle, turned water into wine. And so these disciples were with Jesus for probably about a month or so. In fact, it's actually during this time that he went into the temple with his disciples and as he went into the temple, he saw all the religious people doing religious things and they were selling stuff and all this kind of stuff and they basically desecrated the temple. They'd, they'd mocked God and he came in and, and he really was righteously angry and he just upset everything. He just tipped the thing over. And they were with Jesus when they, when, when he saw, when they saw all this. And it seems from most historians that what happened is the next thing is that Jesus said to his disciples, Peter, James, John, Andrew, just go, Matthew, just go back to what you were doing. Now we're not quite sure exactly why that may have happened, but, but Jesus had, had allowed them to be a part of the early stage of his ministry. And now he said to them, just, just go back to your nets. Go back to fishing. For some of us, that sounds like a lot of fun, right? Go back to your fishing. And it was, and Andrew and Peter are like, wow, and James and Jevity, man, it's been a while since we've been in the boat. I can't wait to get back out fishing. But the first month goes by. They're going through the routine day in, day out. Matthew's sitting at the tax collector, you know, as a tax collector, collecting money, talking to people. And each of them, and one month goes by. Two months goes by. Ten weeks goes by. Now, now listen, what, what do you think might be happening here? They had been with Jesus. They, they were convinced that he was the Messiah. And that really they were ready to, they were all in. They were all in this game. And now they hadn't seen Jesus. Something in their heart had changed when they saw him, when they had been with him. And now, three months. And I have to believe that John and James and Andrew and Peter, I have to believe that probably like some of us, they were fishing in a, each day, and each day they would go out and fish. They would say, there's got to be more. Their hearts were struggling with the fact, I like to fish but this is, there's more to what God wants for my life. There's more. And there was something about it that each day that they would get up and go back to what they were doing, they were like, where's Jesus in this? And the next picture we get is that it was a, probably a, maybe a bit of a foggy morning. And as they're out in the boat in the sea, fishing, there's a silhouette of a man walking by the sea, by the edge of the, by the shore. And he stops, and as they make it out through the fog, and says, Jesus hollers at them loudly, says, come and follow me. The first one was come and see. The second one is come and follow. The second invitation was really literally an invitation to a growing faith. The first invitation was, in, was to a, an authentic or an honest faith. 
this second invitation stepped it up a bit. Let me help you grow, he said. It needs, you need to have a growing faith. And in Mark 1.17, this invitation comes, and Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew, and he says, come and follow me, and I will send you out, and I will help you to fish for men. He says, it's not to say that fishing for fish is not good, but you know something? It's more than just fishing for fish. I want you to fish for people. Those who don't know me. And so Jesus calls those disciples, and those fishermen began to follow me. Now, listen to the words. Follow me. What's it mean to follow? In those two words that Jesus gave, he was making it clear that these are very, very substantial in what they mean. He says, follow anything. Follow whatever you want. Follow your passion. By the way, that's a big one today. Just follow your passion. Just let let love lead you. No. Jesus made it clear. Follow one thing. Follow me. Follow me. But what's it mean to follow? So what... the. First thing that we see to follow, it really means that we follow in obedience. We follow Jesus in obedience. It meant that their lives were going to be upended. When he said to them, Follow me, it says that at once they left their nets and they began to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus in obedience is going to mess up your life. Anybody ever found that out? It's going to mess up your life. Now, I don't mean it in a bad way, but you, what you thought you were going to do and what you thought you were going to be, Jesus probably has a different plan. I remember when I came to Northwest University back in the last century. That sounds like a long time ago. I came to Northwest University to go to Bible, to take Bible and theology classes for a year because my ultimate goal was I wanted to be a a doctor. And I wanted to give a year to learning the Bible and understanding theology, and I wanted to give a year to just saying, Jesus, speak to me, I'll follow you, lead me, teach me, whatever. That's what that year was. At the end of that year, I was absolutely confused. I didn't have a clue what was going to happen in my life. I began to feel like that God was leading my life a different direction, that going, becoming in, going into the medical field and becoming a doctor was not what he wanted for my life, but I certainly didn't want to be a preacher. Now, that doesn't mean God always asks you to be what you don't want to be, but in my case, he was asking me to be something that I really wasn't sure I wanted to do. And I remember going back and I spent a year out of, out of college working on our ranch in Wyoming. And in that year, it was a year of absolute confusion. I wasn't sure what to do. I knew that I didn't, you know, medicine wasn't the direction. I was feeling that, but I wasn't sure what to do. And finally, finally, I finally said, well, I needed one class. I'd gone to one year of college. I and I tested out of some, you know, almost a second year of college, 
and I had one class I had to finish, and I thought, well, let me just go back and take this one class. You know, sometimes God has a, God's sense of humor really messes things up sometimes. I didn't check the schedule and to realize that that one class I needed to take wasn't taken, wasn't given until the spring semester. So I get back to college thinking I'm going to take one class, get my AA and leave, only to find out I got to stay for the whole year. Now I was upset. But at the end of that year, that last semester, last quarter, quarters at the time, that last quarter, it was during that time that a person, one of the, a, a classmate, a couple of them came, sat down at, a, at uh, in the cafeteria at dinner one evening, and one of the gals said, um, "Can you take take me and my friend, a couple of my friends, home?" Uh, I had a car; they didn't. And it's like, I didn't want to do that. I had a test in Revelation that next day. And I remember saying to them, well, if you can't find anybody else, you can give me a call. Well, you see, back up just about two weeks, God had been saying to me in my spirit, getting up six o'clock in the morning, spending some time in devotion and prayer and reading my Bible. And I had to become a bit critical. You ever got critical towards Christians? You look at some other people and you look at them and say, you yeah, know, well, if, and my, here's my, here was my response. If these people are going to be in ministry, then I'm going to be a good deacon and keep the pastor in line. And I had become critical. I'd become eh, a little skeptical about this whole thing. And in my quiet time, Jesus, I felt in my heart said, Steve, if you weren't so critical, you might be able to help them. And I paused and I said, he, and, and as I listened in my spirit, he says, you don't know where every, every one of these people came from. You don't know what I'm doing in their life right now. You're just looking at this moment and you're being critical. And I love them. Oh, man. I don't like these people. And the Lord, I said to the Lord, if you'll give me an opportunity, show me the door, how to do it, I will do my best to try to reach out and care. Two weeks later, I'm sitting at dinner. Will you take us home? The reason that she was asking me to take her home was because her father, her mother rather, had just, Christian family, her mother had just left her father and little brother for another man. And I remember as I went back to my room after they'd asked me, the Lord said to me, get ready to go. You need to go. So I called him up and said, payphone days, payphone. I called up and I said, I'll take you. So we got in the car, three or four of us, four, three of us, we get in the car and we head back to their home for a four-hour drive. And I remember that morning about 2.30, 3 o'clock when we arrived at their house, I walked into a home of a broken man. And it was as clear as you and I are talking, only it wasn't audible. The Lord said, this is what I've created you to do. It messed up my world. To follow Jesus upends our world. But he says, 
if you want to, you have to obey. You have to obey. I've got to pay attention to time. Oh, my, I'm over time. Am I over time? Let me, let me wrap this. Shoot, I wasn't. didn't realize I was going so long. So the first one is obey. Obey. To follow me means obey. It means also sacrifice. It means you're going to sacrifice. The disciples had to get rid of their nets. Matthew, it cost him his lucrative tax collecting job. You know, there's a, to, to sacrifice, there's a denial of ourselves. There's a putting Christ first that basically says it's not about me anymore. That's a hard one. To follow, it's this whole idea that it's going to maybe cost us something. It's common to think that to follow Jesus really isn't going to cost me anything. I can kind of follow Jesus and do what I want to do. It's kind of a common feeling, and certainly it's a hope, I think, of some of us at times. But Jesus, a, a, a rich young ruler, rich man, came to Jesus, and he said, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jesus said to him, now understand, Jesus wasn't against being rich. He's just against anything that stands between you and him. And he said to the rich man, he said, I want you to go and sell everything that you have. And the Bible says that the rich man hung his head knowing that what Jesus said was the truth. And he walked away in sorrow. You know what? It's not Jesus against money. It's just that Jesus is saying, I can't have anything between you and me. Can't have anything between us. To follow means... To follow means that you are following directly behind me. You're following. There's nothing between us. There's nothing moving you in a different direction. Jesus made it clear that no person can serve two masters. We can't be doing this and this at the same time. He made it clear that we have to, there's no such thing as a halfway disciple. There's no halfway disciples. We're all in, or we're not. You see, the third, and I'll, and, and I'll wrap with this. The third was that he recognized to follow meant we would suffer. Ah, I hate that. Don't you hate that? I mean, this morning we celebrate the communion. Jesus said, the scripture says, Jesus learned obedience by what? The things he suffered. If Jesus learned obedience from the human side through suffering, how do you think you're going to get out of here without the same? 
Obedience is a part of the process of learning and obeying and trusting our Father God. It's how he develops our faith. It's how he develops our character. Faith that is not tested is not faith. Trust that is not tried is not true trust. We all have to carry our cross the same as Jesus carried his cross. We all have a cross. What's your cross? What's your cross? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a relationship that you struggle with. Maybe it's a, a son or a daughter or a family member that's strayed. What's the cross? Maybe it's a desire that just you, 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 it pounds in your heart, in your head at, at night or whatever, and, and you know that desire, and you're, not, you're doing your best, you're not yielding, but you, you're just continually struggling with that desire. Cross. Paul said he had a cross. He said, I was given a thorn in the flesh. I was given something that just kept bugging me, poking me. And he said, the reason it was given to me is so I wouldn't get too arrogant. You know, only, can, we, can we just start with a basic assumption? We need to start with the basic assumption that Jesus is good, he loves me, and he knows what's best for me. Amen. And when I start with that assumption, then I can walk through any pain, any suffering, knowing I may not understand it, but my Father, my Jesus, my Savior knows I gotta stop. So I ask you this morning. There's two invitations that we've talked, Jesus asked. Honest faith. You may be here, you may say, I doubt, I question, I'm not sure about some of this. Jesus says, that's okay. Do your honest search. Just come get close, see investigate you may be here and he may be calling you to an invitation that says your faith you have an honest faith but you're not growing is it growing and my challenge to you this morning is which invitation do you need to walk into and accept if the group will come which is the invitation that you need to, to do and you need to say, Jesus, I'm going to step in. I'm going to accept that invitation. You see, an invitation is extended, but we have to choose to accept it. We have to choose to accept it. And as the worship team plays, I think they're going to do the course Oceans, I think, quietly here. And I want us to think. <laughs> if Jesus were here today, which invitation is he extending to you? What's he, what's he saying to you? Is he, is he saying, hey, just come with me for a minute. Just hang with me for a minute. Let me show you I'm real. Maybe a question. Maybe it's that invitation that, that says, you know what, your, your faith, your, you, you know, your you got that foundation of faith, but your growth, you just, I just need you to kind of step into the game a little more. Maybe it's obedience. 
Maybe it's being willing to make the sacrifice to pay the price. Maybe, maybe it's to suffer. And you're going to say, yes, Lord. I can trust your love. I can trust your wisdom. I can trust your care. I will step into that.